broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Ajar and Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. If he gets the right agent, he will be God in New York. He'll yep. have his board over at Times Square. He'll make a fortune if you saw what happened with Eli Manning. And I really think that that's what probably would happen because there's nothing in Jacksonville. There's nothing there. Dildon Palm Trees, like you said earlier. But I don't know. But I would definitely trade away what you can and get him because he is, he is so special. He's better than, they said, he's even better than Andrew Luck. You know, the, the throws that he could throw, this kid. You're not going to get any argument from me. I, he is a generational player. Now, because he's a generational player, it might make him literally impossible to get. I don't know that there's an offer that you could give Jacksonville to move from 2-1. to one. Well, that was reaction on 98.7 ESPN Radio up in New York last week. Bob was choosing was uh, is the New York Jets play-by-play man. Does an excellent job. Uh, you heard him on the bowl game down in Miami, I think it was, um, last weekend. And also uh, was filling in on sports radio up in, in New York. And they obviously were talking about Trevor Lawrence and saying, hey, don't rule out the power play. You know, the idea was, hey, we're New York. They're Jacksonville. Bob, although I did take some offense to this, and the rest of Jacksonville did too, said Jacksonville basically is Hartford with palm trees. Hmm. Uh, I guess somebody else coined that earlier, uh, even before Bob, uh, is what I was told on Twitter. But riveting, either way, riveting stuff. It, to me, and, and Bob was comparing it at the time, uh, it, you know, they did this whole segment, they had some callers involved, and they were comparing it to kind of like the 83 draft with Elway and the power play uh, that Elway had. And, and, again, you can more recently go to 2004 with Eli Manning. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of thought that Archie Manning kind of made that happen. And uh, Archie Manning well, says, I read a recent article that said Archie Manning did not make that happen. It was up to Eli, and it was Tom Condon, his, uh, um, his agent, that really put that in the works to not go to the Chargers. But you got to remember, it wasn't small market, big market necessarily with San Diego versus, and San Diego's not a small market, but it was more, I think, ownership you know, of San Diego and, and their reputation compared to potentially going over to somewhere else and eventually landing in New York. Well, to me, I mean, listen, no one has ever really come out and said why Eli Manning did what he did. Yes, there was a rumor it was Archie Manning's call. Archie Manning said that wasn't his call. But if you look between the lines here, it's pretty obvious why Eli Manning didn't want to go to San Diego. It's the fact of how they handled Drew Brees, right? Because you let two guys' egos get in the way. Those two guys were Marty Schottenheimer, and I forgot who the GM at the time was. Um, I can't remember who the GM was, so you have to forgive me for that. Uh, A.J. Smith. A.J. Smith was the GM there. Remember what happened that year, Drew Brees last year in San Diego. Drew Brees was still the man. He was performing very well. Um, they draft Philip Rivers much to the disgruntledness of Drew Brees. Drew Brees went up to Smith and said, we're not taking Philip Rivers. If you take Philip Rivers, you're going to be pissed. Well, what did Smith do? He took Philip Rivers. Marty Schottenheimer was a big Drew Brees guy, right? So that was his dude. So now you have the head coach and the GM fighting about it. Well, this so happened in the last game of the season before the playoffs. The Chargers are already locked in. And if you remember what happened, Marty Schottenheimer wouldn't take Drew Brees out because he didn't want to play uh, Philip Rivers and make Smith happy at the GM spot. What happens to Drew Brees? He's in in a meaningless game in the last game of the season. He ends up messing up his shoulder very bad, has to have surgery, and he leaves San Diego. Like, 
those two guys' egos right there set aside and put forth the motion of Drew Brees' trajectory now in New Orleans. So if I'm Eli Manning and I'm playing the quarterback position and I see that all that stuff happening, then no, I'm probably not going to want to go to the Chargers. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Everybody has different reasons. I mean, if you go all the way back to Elway, there's different reasons, and it's happened before. So it's there's precedent for it. What's changed so much, and my argument a little bit was, well, first of all, Let's not sit here and say, like, the New York freaking Jets are anything great in terms of the brand, and i got to go to New York just to play for the Jets. If you're going to go to New York, you're going to probably play for the Giants, first of all, would be your pick, and then maybe the Jets. But there are a bunch of different organizations you would you would pick. I understand the one-versus-two pick here, which, which makes this more of a relevant conversation with the Jets. But, I mean, come on, the Jets, uh, the, what we ended up saying on social media, we went back and forth, and we had this argument that, listen, Gardner Minshew here in Jacksonville feels like, and I don't know this for fact, but it certainly feels like he has had more endorsements than Sam Darnold in New York. Mm. You know, they both have about the same amount of wins. Minshew had more personality and flair, and he was kind of a thing for a bit. But what's Sam Darnold doing in terms of endorsements? Yeah, he's playing in New York. Great. He's not playing great, but neither was Gardner Minshew. It wasn't like he was... 12-4 12-4 and an and MVP of the league, and he was still getting endorsements. The NFL brand is so big now, you could go play and name your podunk town, and you're probably going to be found, and if you're a star, you're a star across the country, a la Patrick Mahomes. Not that he plays in a podunk town, Kansas City, I love you, but it's not the biggest market in the world is the point. No, listen, and, and, I, and I've said this before, and I don't want to echo myself too much here, but if you win football games, In 2021, with the way social media is and the outreach that you have, you'll get the endorsements and you will be known. With fantasy football, all that stuff, people are going to know who you are. And if you're in New York and if you're a Jets fan, you you need to wake up and realize that. Like, you guys got to stop living in the 70s and 80s. Like, yeah, I get it. New York City is cool. But I'll be honest with you. I played in New York three times. Right. And I always made it a habit to kind of check things out a little bit and see what the city had to offer. Like that was the kind of like my pregame ritual. And I'll never forget, like I was excited the first time we're going to New York. You know, it was a newer stadium and I was excited to see like, wow, what is this going to be all about? And I remember driving up to it in New Jersey, by the way, it wasn't even in New York. It was in New Jersey and it, gray skies, cold. And I'm from Wisconsin, so I'm used to that. But nothing really to write home about. I remember pulling up to the stadium, and I'm like, all right, cool. Like, that that was my exact reaction. But, like, I pulled at places like Pittsburgh, um, Seattle, Kansas City. Well, obviously Buffalo because their fans are outside. And I kid you not, I've told this story before. There was 100 people lined up, and I'm talking grandmas, children, everybody lining up, giving us that nice Buffalo welcome with two giant middle fingers in there as we're pulling up. Like I pull up to that place, and I'm like, dang, okay, Buffalo, I see you. You're in the middle of nowhere, too, but your fan base is rabid uh, and crazy. I pull up to New York to play the Jets. Meh, okay, whatever. So th- there's that side of it. The other side being, listen, if New York is such a great place to play and you're so worried about your brand, well, you lost one of the best running backs who was supposed to be one of the best running backs in Le'Veon Bell. You probably lost the best safety in Jamal Adams. They both wanted out, okay? So the, 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 whole, the whole draw to the city and living in the big lights, nobody cares about that. Players care about winning games and being in a good environment more than anything. And do the Jets have a good environment right now? Who's their head coach? Oh, I forgot. How have the optics been of the New York Jets the past couple years? 
not great, just like the Jaguars. So if you're a Jets fan right now and you're sitting on your high horse thinking, oh, I can't believe Trevor Lawrence is going to Jacksonville. We're so much better. You're really not. And until you guys realize that, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's facts. Yeah, that's that's the reality of it, Austin. It's like n- nobody's saying, oh, yeah, I really would rather go to the Jets. I mean, that's the reality of the two organizations. They're not that far apart, although maybe their cities are, are vastly different in, in where they are, are at uh, geographically. You know, the only guy recently I can remember that said no to the Jacksonville Jaguars in favor of a different market, and he was very upfront about this, I, I believe. Uh, that was the word at the time because the Jags offered him a lot of money. And I do think the Giants ended up offering a bit more, but it was in the same ballpark, and it was strictly, hey, he was going there because he really wanted to go play in the bigger market. Like, that was one of the reasons. And that was Olivier Vernon. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, And when the Jags were pursuing him, I think the idea of playing in Jacksonville, not that he was hating on Jacksonville necessarily, but the idea of playing in Jacksonville versus playing in New York uh, or in that area was a big thing to him. He wanted to go see the bright lights in New York. Listen, New York's an unbelievable city. It's one of my favorite city in the world. I mean, it's an unbelievable city. I uh, hate the Yankees, but uh, it's an unbelievable city. I, I just think, unless you're talking with this brand, unless you're talking about um, local uh, endorsements, say, like, if, if Trevor Lawrence comes, when he comes to Jacksonville, and a local car dealership says, hey, we want Trevor Lawrence to, to you know, be the face, well, he's... I don't know what the number is. Let's just say he's going to make $200,000 for doing that for a year. Well, in New York, it might be like a million. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I think there's a big difference there. Uh, but Trevor Lawrence is the Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback can still end up with a poster in Times Square as the Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback as easily as he ends up on a no, poster wearing a Jets uniform no, like, in Times Square. Listen, it's, it's, not, it's not even up for debate. Like, th- this is how the NFL works. Now, by the way, Olivia Vernon, I hope you get better. Ruptured Achilles. Now, you ended up in Cleveland. You know, like, you wanted to go to New York, but now you're in Cleveland. No, the Jags might have got and, the benefit and, of that deal, really. Well, yeah, but, you know, you're in Cleveland now, and, I, yeah. and I've been to Cleveland. Yeah, good point. So, yeah. Okay, anyways, so with that, I mean... I know, believe there I, was a uh, basketball mm, player that used to play for the Florida Gators that says, nobody went to vacation in Cleveland. Was, was that Noah? Who yeah, was that? Joe yeah, Kim Joe Kim Noah, Noah, said, Noah that. said that. No, I mean, Cleveland, you know, yeah. All right, anyways, so <laughs> with that, I mean, what do you want me to say? I like, Listen, I love your Browns fans. I'm not hating on your city. Yeah. I like Cleveland. I well, think it's, it's okay. I'm just going to say, that lake affects snow <laughs> in, in those December games Wait. when it's like, what? That was a Brent like subtle nod compliment. I think it's okay. No, you, you know what Brent's getting at, man. He, he doesn't want to go all in. He's on the fence. He's got a brand to protect. You know what I mean? How I feel about it. I'm not professional at all. I'll, I'll tell you like it is. I don't like Cleveland. Anyways, I mean, it's, you got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but besides that. I from there, man. <laughs> I feel like talking smack about Kentucky. It was a dry <laughs> county, though. And I forgot what I was even going to say here, Brent. What were we talking about? Yeah, um, just the size of the city. But here's yeah. what I'm getting at, okay? Where, where are we going with all this? This was almost like a last week's story. Mm -hmm. But where I'm going with it is Trevor Lawrence picks today an agent and uh, signed up with an agency. And it's a smaller, I would say a smaller agency because, quite frankly, they're not super involved with the stars of the NFL. They have plenty of NFL uh, representation, including Tyler Shatley, uh, who plays on the Jags, including Nathan Peterman, who's from Bartram Trail. Yeah. So uh, and I think uh, Brandon Allen. You know, but again, Trevor Lawrence is going to be all of a sudden like their huge name guy. Uh, and I didn't do enough research to know how old their agency is, but 
I just think the one thing that the reason we brought up the whole New York thing to get to this part of the conversation is if New York folks or if anybody thought that the power play could take place, a la Jalen Ramsey asking out of Jacksonville, a la Manning uh, going from San Diego to New York, a la John Elway back in the day in 83. If you thought that was going to happen, the general consensus is that would happen with a big time agent. A guy that has a ton of stars, a guy that is a mover and shaker behind the scenes in the NFL. And I think this move today by Trevor Lawrence showcases and slams that door shut. It doesn't mean they can't try it. It just means it's unlikely, in my opinion. These guys are based in the Southeast. In fact, uh, uh, the the main guy, Jake Curry, if, if I'm saying his name right, who I think he's going to sign with is a big Clemson guy. Yeah. Um, so there's a relationship there. Hunter Renfro, by the way, is another one of his clients. And so it just it comes across like, okay, I don't think this is shaping up to be a power play move. So two doors have shut in the last two days is really the moral of the story. Well, yeah. One going back to college, and one if you had any thoughts or concerns down in Jacksonville or hope up in New York that a power play move was going to be made before the draft. Sure, we have to wait it out and see for the next few months, but the, it doesn't add up to that. There's no writing on the wall for that to happen. No, listen, and obviously with Trevor Lawrence, I don't think he's wired like that. Like He has no yeah, reason either. not to come to Jacksonville. Like We didn't have the whole Marty Schottenheimer, you know, Smith experience that they had in San Diego where it's like, well, look at how they treated that quarterback. Now, Doug Marone maybe should have started Garner Minshew the past couple games, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Trevor Lawrence has no reason not to come here, so that's fine. Uh, I just, I guess it's just the fact that, like, and you know, another argument is like, can Jacksonville cultivate the talent, right? Like, is it is it a place that can raise the star power? And and, and to all those haters out there or that want to live in that narrative, especially in New York or you know whatever big market you're in, I, I bring you back to the '90s when Limp Biscuit had three number one hits on TRL. Okay, <laughs> the the prosecution rests. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Like, Brent, people want to watch draft day with Kevin Costner and think that's real life. No siree. Like, Trevor Lawrence is the overall consensus number one pick. And no, I don't care if he does, no one went to his 21st birthday party and, like, there's that whole thing out there. If you ever saw the movie, it's ridiculous. But at the end of the day, Trevor Lawrence is coming to Jacksonville. Yeah, so Trevor Lawrence, big news today. Is he hi- Now, yesterday declares for the draft. Today, hires the agent. Uh, and by the way, like, you really can't hire an agent until you declare for the draft. But obviously, there's some discussions that go on before. He didn't make that decision in the last, like, 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, so getting back to kind of like the Urban Meyer stuff that we were talking about doesn't mean conversations between representation or feeling out process or inquiries or casual conversations, I believe. I believe they take place all the time. I mean, I just think that's part of it uh, in, in the circles you, of that business. You want to hear something real crazy? Do you want me to bring this full circle of the research that I've been doing about Trevor Lawrence just to prove? to you right now that my head is in the game and I can't wait till he gets here. Are you ready for this one? Yeah, go ahead. So you know the agents, like you said, uh, Hootie, uh, Hootie from Hootie and the Blowfish? Yes, Darius uh, Rucker. Darius Rucker, thank you. I should probably know his name. Um, Darius Rucker is part of that agency, right? Yes. Okay. Do you know where Trevor Lawrence is from? Trevor like, wh- Lawrence where, is from Cartersville. But where is he born? I don't know that. Johnson City, Tennessee. 
Okay. Ah. Now, why is Johnson City, Tennessee? Because it's mentioned a in a lot of country songs. I you better believe it. And here's the and here's the <laughs> hey and here's that home run ball, Brent. So Bob Dylan and a member of the Old Crow Medicine Show wrote a song called Wagon Wheel. It was a national song. Uh. It seemed like in Kentucky. In that song, they mention Johnson City, Tennessee. Darius Rucker, formerly of Hootie and the Blowfish, did a remix of that song, Wagon Wheel. And who does he mention that song? Johnson City, Tennessee. Brent, full circle. I hope your mind is blown, because guess what? I'm doing due diligence over here. That is incredible homework, incredible tie together. And now I want Hootie to remake the song again and mention <laughs> Trevor Lawrence somewhere in there. Just a, tre- a yeah. TL. Yeah. Hey, by the way, did you say you didn't like the number 16? Because I want you to see the video feed right now. Let's see what we got. Putting on. All right, there's a little delay, so it's going to be a little teaser here. Yep. Okay. Can you're you you're slowly it? you're slowly putting it up. Oh no! <laughs> I think this is the first time in the show's history that I've learned your college baseball number. Before there was Trevor Lawrence. Wow. There was Brent Martineau. Now, now be honest. That was like your fourth choice. Be honest about it. <laughs> no, well, that, was cho- that was choice number five. No, nah, I don't think so. I don't I don't remember that. Um, but it might have been. <laughs> Uh, 1, 7, and 16 were popular numbers for me throughout my playing career for some reason. And I think 16 might have come just from like a subconscious influence from one Bo Jackson. Okay. Okay. 16. Okay, I thought like maybe Larry Bird was like born on the 16th day of some month or something like that. that, You know, some of that nonsense. Okay. So I'm all for 16. I like it. Trevor Lawrence. And, uh... By the way, my wife got this framed for me, right, coming out of college at some point. I don't remember when. And this is the biggest freaking frame and heaviest frame there is. That so, thing's nice, man. She did a great job on that. Yeah, so that's why I had to get hers done. Actually, I don't know who got it done first. I might have actually got Steph's done first. Yeah. And then she did mine. Wait, so I thought, are you guys blue or purple? That's no, purple. That's purple. Okay, I got you. And what, yeah. what was the mascot again? Eagles. The Eagles. Okay. Yeah. Ashland, the Ashland University, University, Ashland University. Ashland right? University. And Eagles. So, Doesn't really way, roll that, off the tongue. But, nah, that yeah. jersey, though, is pretty mm-hmm. sweet, too. It was like the mesh, so in like 1998, <laughs> 1999, like it was like, that mesh stuff was like, hey, this is cool. No, you hey, know? It's not like that old heavy cotton, no, whatever. Don't, like, don't act like mesh wasn't like the only thing people were wearing in like the early 90s, man. Like everyone was rocking mesh. Like that's all you could wear. Females were wearing mesh skirts. Guys were wearing mesh shirts. Like, you know, everything's exposed. That's how we roll. Baby. Yeah, but when you wear when you're playing a Division two school, yeah, and you're no, a walk on, and you get like that jersey to go. Yeah. That's like your fourth jersey. You got pinstripes, and you got your homes and your aways. Wait, and see, this is like a special. I mean, you got four jerseys, and that's one of them. I'm like, I felt like I hit the lottery. Time man. out from the game. Time out from the game, real quick. You had four jerseys. We had, I think we had, I know we had three. I think we had four. Yeah, I think we had four. I think we had solid white. I think we had a gray. With purple in it, but it was mostly gray. Then we had a pinstripe white my senior year, which was kind of cool looking. Actually, I had purple uh, pinstripe, and uh, even though pinstripes were related to the Yankees, and I shouldn't have liked that. And then we had this, like a gray bottom with that purple top mesh. It was like our we're, Sunday game jersey. Were you guys a private school or a public? Um, Ashland is a uh, private school. Okay, well then, certain. I'm just saying, at Murray State, I had two pairs of cleats and two jerseys. Like literally, all I had was two pairs of cleats. And yeah. you guys are over there in your private school club med, rocking four jerseys a pop. I don't know yeah. how I feel about that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I feel like I was cheated. I'm a public school guy, but my 25 grand tuition had to go to something. It's not like I was getting <laughs> a college scholarship. I paid student loans for. 
10 years after college. At least I got a damn jersey out of it. <laughs> I went to school for 25K a year, and all they gave me was this jersey. That's right. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, I don't. this is the only one that we had our name on. The other ones we had to turn back in. Oh, you know what I mean. So like we we would get the other three uniforms were like recycled. I got you. Yeah, I just stole mine. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah. I did that in high school, but this one <laughs> yeah, we put yeah. our name on, so obviously we got to keep that one. Hey, nice. I think Sean's been hanging on the line. Let's get to him before we go to break. <laughs> Sorry, Sean. Sean, Sean talking. John, what number were you in high school? Most importantly, what's up? I I, I rode the bench and I was number thirteen. Okay, thirteen's a good. Number. That's a good number though, man. That's a that's a that's a great bench number. That's like the Michael Jordan of bench numbers. <laughs> I see you, Sean. It's like a great bench number. <laughs> yeah. That's Dan Marino, baby. Yeah, That's what that yeah. is. I, I tried to get in. They they just said no. You're not you're not good enough. <laughs> uh, no, but I want to make a few statements first. New, new Yorkers don't even like New York, so New York sucks. And then <laughs> as far as star power goes, uh, uh, with Jacksonville, remember uh, Austin? Social media accounts were big. Nobody knew who Juju Smith-Schuster was until that he started putting out social media TikToks. It's a good point. So social media is a big thing. Um, but I want to go back on the coaching thing, uh, coaching carousel, which you guys want real quick. I missed a few shows, so I'm not really necessarily sure if you guys discussed these, discussed this yet, but with culture and Urban Meyer and Marvin Lewis or whoever else, who's ever else on the, on the carousel. I remember back in the day, I grew up in the uh, Jack Del Rio era. So he was a hard nose. You knew defense was his thing. You knew what you were, get, you were getting. Tom Coughlin was disciplined. I don't know what Urban Meyer, besides winning, as far as cu- culture goes, what he provides. And I'm not sure if you guys discussed this, but who you, who do you guys think coaching-wise would be the actual legit culture? Like you knew who you're going to play and who you're going to get. Urban Meyer can get talent, but what else is yeah. there? Yeah, that's a great question, man. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Happy New Year. Thanks for hanging on. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. You're invited to call 904-362-9901 all the time. Hey, let's get to that. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're a little bit late. But uh, hang on, Sean. We'll get to that. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, are you going to know the identity of Urban Meyer? Like, what is it? Or another coach that might get hired here. Let's go through some of the candidates, Austin. Yeah. What would be the identity of these guys? Uh, it's interesting you mentioned Del Rio because a little bit later on in the show, the Jags could have had a Hall of Fame kind of player during the Jack Del Rio days. He wanted to be here. Jags said, we don't want you. That story came out today. That was pretty mm-hmm. interesting. We'll get into it. Uh, but coming up next, what would Urban Meyer's culture be? What would he be known for? And same with some of the other candidates. we get into it next. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 6 now. Austin Lane. I want you to put yourself in Leonard Fournette's shoes. Probably a little bigger shoes than you're rocking right now. Mm-hmm. Shocker, you're wearing sandals, and that's all good, though. Brent Martino. Well, you are, too. They're Mark- just like... <laughs> I mean, they're just like, look I like might vans. as well be. I might as well be. <laughs> Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. He is taking the time now to sort through whether he wants to make that jump, leave TV, and go coach. It's two totally different lifestyle choices, and it's hard, and it's not easy. And he struggled with losing in college, and there would be even more losing at the NFL level. But at the same time that there would be more losing at the NFL level, there's more leeway with losing at the NFL level in terms of this. If you lose a game or two in college football, you're out. You're not winning the national championship. You could lose three, four, five, six games in the NFL, still make the playoffs, and still go on a postseason run. And I think Urban Meyer, that that has occurred to him here, that he could handle losses in his mind 
probably a little better than he could at the college level where he struggled to do that, and I think it contributed to him stepping away from the game the number of times that he did. Yeah, go to the NFC East and see what happens. You're going to love it over there, Urban. You're going to love it. When you lose nine times and still win. You're going to love it over there. Uh, yeah, it, it's a valid point. It's one I've heard a bit yeah. about Urban Meyer. It's like, <laughs> it's funny. It's like, I understand there's a lot of angst about him, Urban Meyer, and the losses, and that's when things have happened, but... It's like this seems a little bit uh, juvenile, in a sense, where it's like, oh, this guy doesn't like the loser. He's going to take his ball and go home, mm-hmm. you know, and he's mm-hmm. not going to play again. I just think it's a little carried away. I think what people are pointing to, though, and that's because there is evidence of this, is the stress that losing brings on, especially in the college game. When you have a top five program, you lose one time, you might be done. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's it's like you're nine and seven with the playoffs on, or nine and six with the playoffs on the line in week 17 of the NFL season every week in the in college game. Not every week because you're playing some cupcakes, but you get my point. You just there's no room for error. And so the idea that brings with that when you're trying to win it all every year and that's the goal and that's also the expectation that means if you lose it all the stress goes up and up and up and so the compilation of all that stress listen there's gonna be plenty of stress in the nfl plenty of it there's expectations and urban meyer is going to bring expectation no matter where he goes so and he's going to deal with stress that he hasn't dealt with before because he doesn't know what it is he's going to encounter things that he hasn't experienced being an nfl guy versus a college guy if he chooses to go that route Mm -hmm. and so the stress is going to be there. I understand what people are saying. Yeah, you can lose five times, still make the playoffs, go win the Super Bowl in the NFL. You just can't do that in college. And and there's some truth to that. But I, I just feel like there's this, uh, there's this overwhelming thought that, oh, my gosh, like if he loses, he just he, he needs to end up in the hospital. Like if he loses one time. I don't really think that's it. I think it's the compilation of stress that is involved in that job at the collegiate level well, when you – are a big-time head coach. Well, I mean, listen, it's a it's an important statement, though, right? Because it is different, obviously. But I always think, like, if you're a coach in the NFL and you talk about wins and losses, like, you can't necessarily think that way. Like, I understand. It's the ultimate performance-based business. But you got to think about it as ways of winning and learning. Like, it's okay to lose. You know what? You're probably going to lose once, twice, three times, maybe four times, and that's okay. But the biggest thing is, how do you respond from those losses? What did you learn about your team? And when you learn about something, did you put in a place where that's not going to happen again? That's what makes, to me, a great coach. Anybody can have a great team and go win. But when you lose, how do you rebound? And that's, to me, the biggest question mark right now. And I don't want to really call it a red flag because a lot of guys we don't know quite yet at the head coaching role. But it's definitely a question mark is, how is Urban Meyer going to respond when he loses maybe three or four games in a year? How is he going to act? Is he going to learn or is he going to be upset? In reality, Austin, what's interesting about this is you have two guys that maybe the number one question about them, if they get to Jacksonville, is how will they handle losing? Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence and Urban Meyer, two guys that just haven't lost a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one handles, uh, one obviously has been way stressed out by it. One has just never even had to react to it. Much, <laughs> just you know? can't even I, comprehend it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. listen, again, it's, it's fair to say uh, Trevor Lawrence could lose in the first month of his NFL career more than he ever lost in his entire high school career uh, or – how more than he ever lost in the in his collegiate career. Yeah. You know, so I mean that's that's a big difference and I think that's we talked about it with Maurice Jones Drew yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's a fair question. All right, hey man, 
listen, you got all the goods, but how are you going to handle adversity now? Adversity is going to happen. You might win five games this first year. What are you going to do? So I think it's fair. Well, you know what? And I thought, you know, Mo brought up a great point yesterday because I even asked him the question. Like, when we talk about quarterbacks coming into the league and the whole narrative is, well, they're, they're winners. You know, they haven't lost a lot of games. And I asked him because he's on the offensive side of the ball, so he has a better idea with those relationships that he's built with quarterbacks. Like, does that matter to you? Like, does that matter to the offense or even really the team in general when you have a quarterback who's not accustomed to losing? Like, is that just kind of what we put on the pedestal and it's it's a good title for an article? Or does that actually matter? And, and Maurice Jones-Drew's comments yesterday was that does matter. Right, because that can be contagious, and I absolutely agree with him. I think that if you have a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, who is accustomed to losing, I'm sorry, accustomed to winning all his life, he comes to the Jaguars, and let's say you know in those first four or five games, maybe they are two and three, maybe they are one and four. Well, now all of a sudden he's not accustomed to that, and when you're not accustomed to something, you don't like it, especially losing. So that's where you step up as a leader and be like, guys, we got to rally behind each other here, and we got to work harder. We got to find some way to win these games. So I kind of like that front runner a little bit um, of a guy who hasn't lost a lot coming into the situation. Now, obviously, it can backfire, and you get the, the other side of the coin is going to be, well, you know, they're going to implode basically because they can't handle it. I don't think Trevor Lawrence is that type of guy. I think Trevor Lawrence is the type of guy where if he comes to Jacksonville and he doesn't win right away, he's going to get gather the troops around and find a way to win. Yeah, and I think that point is a good one because if you go back to when the Jags won in 2017, Austin, I think one of the critical moments in building that team was getting Malik Jackson. And you know why? Because people respected the fact that he had just won a Super Bowl with Denver. And and that was important. Like, he knew what it took to get to the mountaintop. Now, we're not saying that with Trevor Lawrence or even Urban Meyer, that they know how to get to the Lombardi Trophy. But those guys will be respected because of the amount that they've won. There is a respect for being great. And at the levels they've played or coached, they've been great. So there's instant respect right away for a guy like that. Well, let me ask you this then, Brent. Let's put it to the coaching's philosophy now. Eric Bieniemy just won a Super Bowl, right? Won a Super Bowl at the Kansas City Chiefs as a coordinator, not a head coach, but you know, as a coordinator. Urban Meyer obviously has had a lot of success, national championships in college, but not in the pros. Who do you give the edge to, or is it even? Like, do you lean more towards Biennemi because he has been at the highest level calling maybe the plays um, in the Super Bowl, or do you lead more towards Urban because he was the head coach, but it's the college scene? I actually think, Austin, when you put it in that context, and I heard um, Maurice say it a little bit yesterday, too, and we didn't have time to even go further on it at the time, so I'm glad you've brought it back up. But I would say, unquestioned to me, I have less of a question of Urban Meyer winning at the NFL level, then I do the question of can Eric Bieniemy do it at any level from the lead position? Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he, that is totally different. It's totally different to be part of an offense, call in plays, be very much involved, and I'm not taking anything away from him for being that and relating to players and all that stuff, but then to running your show. That is a different animal. So many guys, how many times do we say, guys, good coordinator, not a great head coach. Good good uh, assistant, not a great head coach. That's a real thing. That's a, It's a different, different animal. And so I, that's where I do give Urban the edge because okay. this guy's done it in multiple places, just not at this level in terms of the NFL, but multiple levels of college football. Uh, and he's been able to get it done. Hey, Lance has been hanging on the line. Let's get him in on Urban Meyer. Uh, what's happened to Lance? How you doing, man? What's going on, guys? Um, something I want to bring up, uh, you know, we were talking about culture and the winning and everything like that. We also forget some things that Urban's done in the past. 
if y'all don't remember, uh, Shane, he went after Shane Matthews after that Ole Miss game on the on the field. Uh, you know, all Shane said in his radio show was he thought it was kind of shameful that they weren't able to get uh, open on one to one, you know, one uh, man coverage, and uh, Irvin went after him. And uh, also something that was huge that really kind of lost the team uh, when Tim Tebow got that concussion in Kentucky, he got in the ambulance and left. And uh, I, I know from a lot of rumblings early on that you know Urban put you know Tim up on this pedestal compared to some of the other players. And you know Tim is one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. But you know you won't see Bill Belichick get in the, in the ambulance even during the height of Tom, Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Um, those are some of the things you worry. You know after a loss, going after a radio show guy who's you know Shane Matthews, Steve Swigger came in, four string quarterback. Everybody knows the loyalty Shane's had to the Gators. Saying something small. Those are the kind of things that just kind of add up. They keep just keep you getting worried. And uh, like Austin said the other day, huge thing: the boom or the bust. As a Jaguars fan, someone like the, the uh, area, the enemy, you're just not. The bust doesn't seem so big. You know, yeah, maybe the boom's not as possibly as big, but you know, when you got somebody like Trevor, I I just don't know if I'm ready to roll the dice with a with a head coach. That's just my feelings on that. Lance, we appreciate it, man, and there's questions about everybody. And by yeah. the way, there's no squeaky clean on, hey, you can question some of the things probably Belichick's done after games, in between games, behind closed doors, Saban's done, all the greats have done, man. I don't think, listen, nobody is trying to sell Urban Meyer as a squeaky clean guy. Yeah. Uh, that would not be correct. Um, but he does not want to win. I don't think we've really answered Sean's question well, before the break, and, yeah. uh, and you can jump in on this part, too. Well, but we'll get to Sean's question about what is the identity other than just winning. The guy's won, okay, but is there more of an identity than that? Yeah, yeah re- real quick, too, with Biennemi. I mean, Biennemi is not perfect either, right? There was a little incident True. in Colorado. Um, I think he had, like, a mix-up with, like, a, a campus, um, like, parking attendant. Uh, I think there was something wrong that line, and he actually, yeah, enemy, yeah, yeah, and then he got. I know, I know, he got banned from Colorado's campus for a year for that. Yeah. That's all. I mean, there's more things, but that's a that's obviously a major thing. So the enemy's not perfect either. But listen, to get back um, to the last caller's point here with Urban Meyer, it was the very first thing that I brought up when those rumors start trickling that he could be coming to Jacksonville. And to me, it is the sideline demeanor, right? Because. When I visualize Urban Meyer on the sidelines, I see a lot of yelling at players, seeing a lot of yelling at officials, and that's why, like, listen, this is the game of football. you got to be passionate. But once again, when you're dealing with a bunch of grown individuals on that sideline, you got to be careful how you talk to those guys, right? Because it's not going to fly like it does in college. You can kind of mold those guys a little more. And then to get back to the Tim Tebow point, I, I, I do agree. I don't think a lot of coaches leave that game and go with their, you know, their quote-unquote star football player. And it's interesting because I've talked to some former Florida Gators on that team, and they've all told me the same thing. Like, yes, Tebow was put in the position to be the guy, and that's what everybody thought. But there was other guys in that team that were just as big, if not bigger, leaders, especially on that defense. Hey, I want to answer Sean's question because it goes back like 10 minutes now. Yeah. Urban Meyer, and we'll do this with the other coaches when we come back, but Urban Meyer alone, you know, his identity, of course, is winning, but I, I view him as like, Here's what I, I would say to Sean on that. If Urban Meyer's the coach, he is the undoubted man of that organization, right? Yes, I mean, he, is he has to be. unquestioned boss. I think he has that in him more than any other candidate could have that in this cycle right now. The, 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 there's going to be a chain of command for sure when it comes to Urban Meyer because he's always – and I don't call it dictatorship because that kind of has a negative connotation, but that's what it seems like a little bit. And by the way, Sean, like I said before, number 13, probably the best sideline number you could ever rock on the bench, man, so props to you. 
I, I mean, wanna, it doesn't get better than that. Now, I want to evolve a little bit of his, his question, though, that goes back a bit. Let's take a look at some of these other guys. What would their identity be? Like, if I say Eric Fiedemi, bam, what are you going to say? If I say Marvin Lewis, bam, what are you going to say? Arthur Smith, Raheem Morris, Robert Sala, like... What are you going to think about that guy who represents the Jaguars organization? Let's get to it next on ESPN 690. Well, I feel like one thing that Coach Meyer brings to um, any team or organization he'd be a part of is uh, that winner's mentality. Um, You know, he does whatever he can to help um, his team be successful and and win the game. Um, You know, the way he prepares his team from start from the summer to game time is all about preparing um, to win a game and no matter what you um, your role is you, you want to be at maximum capacity is what he's called it and uh, have competitive excellence which is being ready when your number is called and coach Meyer I mean everywhere he's go everywhere he's gone um, he's built a, a winning team so um, I haven't talked to him specifically about being in the NFL or not but um, if he chooses to do that, that'd be cool to just see him uh, coaching again, um, doing what he loves to do. But um, we'll have to see how those chips fall. That is Terry McLaurin, the Washington football team wide receiver from Ohio State. Of course, is off to a great start in his NFL career. Washington in the playoffs this week against Tampa. We'll talk about the playoffs coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. And Let's do this exercise so we don't push this off anymore. All right. Uh, and, and Sean kind of prompted this, and I appreciate the idea, uh, because he asked it about Urban. But I more think about, okay, what about the other coaches? And we can talk about Urban, too. But I'm going to list some of the coaches that are at least in the mix in, in Jacksonville, you would think. They're the hot names out there. And maybe there's some sleepy names out there, right, that we don't even know about. That's certainly plausible. Although you don't hear much about that, do you? You know, there's really not many sneaky candidates. Uh, mm. It doesn't feel that way. I feel like Everflus uh, from Indianapolis is a guy that he's he's been rumored in a couple of spots, but not a lot of spots. The Aaron Glenn interview in New York is one that not is not on everybody's list. It's still very peculiar to me that Eric Bieniemy was not on Houston's request list. That shocks me, considering that was the favorite for him to land that job most of the season once Bill O'Brien got fired. And I think that's a fascinating part of it. The other guy that's not really a hot name anymore, and did he miss his window? Will he get another chance? I would say probably will down the road, but he certainly hurt his chances in this cycle. Appears to be Josh McDaniels. Uh, he's been rumored about a little bit, but I think Houston folks in Houston saying today that he's not going to be the guy, mm-hmm. uh, which assumingly I, I would assume that the Houston Texans are waiting on Brian Dable. Uh, just to draw the the dots and connect the dots. That makes a lot of sense, considering they have a lot of Patriots in their uh, front office now. Dable connected, of course, to the New England Patriots. All right, so let's go. Brent Martin, Austin Lane, Coos here on a Thursday. Let's do this. We only have a few minutes. Kind of like one word, two words, what would you think? Okay. I say Urban Meyer, people will say winner. I think culture builder. What do you say when you say Urban Meyer? I say culture builder. Okay. Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy, I say attention to detail, great coaching tree, um, the safest pick. Yeah, and I say this, and I'm relating to see like how the way I view it, and we can kind of view these things a little bit different. That's okay. Is like what will the Jags look like when I say, oh man, that's an Eric Bieniemy coach team, or Eric Bieniemy, oh yeah, I'm gonna say the goal is the identity is the offense and the high flying offense because I don't know if he can duplicate it, but I think he's gonna try to duplicate what they have. In Kansas City. Yeah. Here's a tricky one, man. Raheem Morris. 
Oof. Um, can coach everything. Um, can relate to players. Uh, and seems to have respect in the locker room. So I guess a little bit of culture as well. Yeah, I, I, the word that comes to mind is like, like relatability. You know when you know when Shad Khan and I don't even know if that's a good word, but you know when Shad Khan said, "Hey, we need to find a guy who knows the fundamentals, knows football, has known the way football's been played, but also needs to be innovative and can relate to the modern athlete." Mm-hmm. I think Raheem Morris probably brings a sense of that. He's a guy in his uh, early to mid forties. He's been through it before. This will be the second time go around. I think he can do that. I think he can steady things out and relate to the player. I don't know if that makes you a great winner. Uh, because I think we've seen guys that can relate to the player that haven't won before, uh, but that's what I think of. Arthur Smith. Ooh, um, Arthur Smith. I think it, uh, balanced offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be honest, not sold on the pedigree of leadership. Yeah, I don't think big like, oh, wow, what a big voice and, and face at the franchise. I think... James Robinson, you're going to have a good career, yeah. and we're going to be physical, and we're going to know who we are. That's what I say in Arthur Smith. Mm-hmm. We know our identity. Robert Sala. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's you know, culture shaping young men. Sala, in my opinion, from a like a phrase standpoint, yeah. next big thing, man. Okay. Next big, like he could have the urban presence. We just don't know it because we haven't seen it, but I feel like he can be that guy in the building. Okay. He could be the next Tom Coughlin in the building. And, and I say that because that's a strong presence. I'm not saying he's like those guys. I'm just saying that strong presence. I think he has some innovation to him as well. I love this guy, by the way. I think he checks a lot of the boxes, and I could probably say more things about Sala, who I think he might be, than a lot of these candidates. Let's see if I got one more. I'm not doing Byron You, Buck, which I, you haven't mentioned my s- second favorite candidate right now. Marvin Lewis? Nope. But, I mean, Marvin Lewis, I think, steady. Um, experience, uh, physicality in terms of his team's identity. All right. Uh, have we mentioned Dable? Who's your second? No, you haven't mentioned. Yeah, it's, it's Dable. We haven't mentioned Dable. Okay. Dable, I say? think uh, adaptability, outside the box thinking, can relate to players. I think I say potential genius. Mm. There's a sweet science about mm. this guy. I like but that. almost. But I, I get scared with guys that are too smart. Had a little bit of that with Jed Fish as the offensive coordinator. He had that with Matt Patricia in Detroit. Had the, Matt Patricia is like that a bit. Got to be careful to be too smart in in sports, I think, at times. Uh, so anyway, that's interesting. Uh, we probably didn't hit everybody. And but, we, uh, uh, we got some breaking news happening here a little bit. Brent from the Philadelphia Eagles, Jim Schwartz, has uh, announced his departure. Oh, I want you to say a word or two on him because you played for Jim Schwartz. All right. Uh, we'll go bigger picture NFL, including the playoffs, when we come back. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 6. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.